the suitcase from the van Cause if you want the best But you don't ask questions Then brother, I'm your man Cause where it all comes from is a mystery It's like the changing of the seasons And the tides of the sea But here's the one that's driving me berserk Why do only fools and horses work? La 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 Oh, shut up, you tart. Camaraderie, and welcome back to a new episode of Only Goats and Horses, the first one of 2023 with Bread Roll and JT. Camaraderie, indeed, everyone. Yeah, we're back again. That's Bread Roll just said, the first episode of 2023. Um, so, Happy New Year, everyone. Um, we're a couple of weeks in now um, when we're recording this. When you listen to it, obviously, maybe a different time. But um, today, we are continuing Series 7, and we're up to Episode 4 now, so we're getting kind of towards the end of the um the actual proper series episodes and this is uh class of 62 which aired on the 20th of january 1991 as a 50 minute episode as i've said before these are now um and it had 16.2 million viewers so a slight dip off from the 16.6 we saw last time around but still healthy there and this is what a week away from its 23rd uh, 33rd sorry anniversary bread roll as we're recording this Oh, bloody hell, yeah. So uh, it's good numbers again, though, isn't it, for the viewership on there? But, um, yeah, it's quite scary when you say how old these episodes are sometimes. You're like, bloody hell. <laughs> yeah, it really is, particularly as I kind of remember some of these now first time around as well. So um, that is a bit scary. <laughs> yeah, but it's, um, it is good to see, like, the numbers are pretty good. I mean, this particular episode, for anyone who did, I know mean, we've mentioned it a couple of times, but did listen to our original attempt at a podcast when we did our top ten, this was our number one episode, Um both JT and myself absolutely love this one. And of course, uh, Peach is a particular favourite character who, although makes only three appearances throughout the whole saga, he certainly leaves his mark in each episode that he attends. He sure does. And I'm sure, as everyone knows, it's Slater we're talking about, old Jim Broadbent, who was obviously touted to be Del Boy. Um, was John Sullivan's first ever sort of thought about Del Boy. Um, and again, watching this for the, the millionth time, but obviously for the sake of this podcast, um, as we've said pretty much all throughout this series, Cassandra does not make an appearance in this episode either, does she? No, she doesn't. I was thinking that. I was like, and again, like we mentioned before, like for someone who was so integral to series six, um, and then obviously is is important to like the ongoing story with Rodney and everything. She hasn't bloody arrived, so God knows what she was doing. Maybe she's just sat out back having a fag or something. Like, well, they're still <laughs> episodes, or maybe she was off on on another show and she was sort of splitting her duties. Who knows? Who knows indeed? Yeah, I mean, I think she might be in next week's episode, and obviously she's in pretty much all the specials from here on in. But yeah, as you say, and we've said pretty much throughout this series, a bit strange that she was pretty much the the feature character in series six, and now she's disappeared. But couple of little tidbits I've got here. Kirsty got me this good book for Christmas, actually. It's got um, every episode sort of broken down and some bits written by John Sullivan before he passed, God rest his soul. Um, and he got the idea of this episode from um, a football team reunion, apparently. Um, he didn't actually know who'd organised it, and he turned up, and the guy who'd organised it had completely changed since he last saw him. I don't know how long the sort of time scale was. Um, and that kind of gave him the sort of sort of inspiration to write this episode about a school reunion about the fact that someone who had apparently changed since everyone had last seen him although we find out that Slate hasn't really changed his spots too much don't we yeah absolutely that's brilliant and I, I do like that there's loads of episodes where John Sullivan I didn't know that about this one so that's pretty cool but there's other ones I know where he's like he's just read something in a newspaper or he's like he's thought of something and he's like made an episode out of it so he does reference 
or get his ideas from quite a lot of kind of like real life kind of things. And that obviously explains why they take a moment to um, have that picture. Obviously, we'll go through the synopsis as usual, but they have that little conversation when he finds the old football team photo, doesn't he? And he's like, oh, here's Roy with all of us. And <laughs> we had camaraderie and stuff and Trigger comes out with. Yeah, exactly. So that probably did inspire him for that little bit as well there. And another thing we've talked about throughout this whole thing, since Raquel first got introduced, um, did John Sullivan have it in his mind that he was going to link her back to Slater and that, you know, he had it all along in his head that she was going to be um, his ex-wife. And apparently he didn't, even when he was writing the episode where uh, Raquel says to Dale she was married to a copper, he still hadn't put two and two together in his head that it was going to be Slater. It was only when he wanted to get uh, Jim Broadbent back in that he thought, hold on, I can tie this up here. I can make her um, him her ex-husband. So it was kind of a spur of moment thing. It was never in his head, sort of in the long run, which is so we've talked about a fair bit, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely. And that's good to know as well, because I suppose, I mean, we've said it before, I mean, Jim Broadbent, he's had a fucking amazing career. Like, if he'd have actually taken a job as Del Boy, because he was on stage at the time, I think, which is why he couldn't do it. Um, like, he might not have had a, the movie career that he's had, because he's in so many films, and he's obviously big Hollywood movies to sort of like, you know, TV movies and all that sort of stuff and everything in between. Um, but maybe because of his schedule and everything, like he, John Sullivan was probably like, well, I don't know if I'll even be able to get Jim Broadbent because he's obviously such a busy man. But that's cool that it all kind of came full circle and it worked out. Yeah, exactly. And um, shameless plug to our movie podcast. He's going to be in the film we're looking at um, next yeah. episode. <laughs> but there we go. That's a whole new another thing. But if you don't check that out, then please give us a listen over there on our movie one as well. Um, so should we have a look at how this one uh, pans out then, Bread Roll? Yeah, let's take a look at it. Okie dokies. This one's pulled from the main wiki page. Um, it's a bit hit and miss here and there, but hey, it's the best I could find, really. Um, so as always, a big shout out to Dan Parkinson for the opening theme tune. Um, check him out on Instagram, Dan Parkinson. He's doing some cool stuff still. Um, let's see what he's doing over there. So let's have a look then at the old uh, synopsis. This opens up with just a little bit here, but it kind of sort of sets the scene for the episode. So Dell and Rodney receive a fax on their new future fax machine that Mike has got a reunion for the 1962 class of the Martin Luther King Comprehensive School and it's been arranged at the nag's head. Raquel receives a letter from her solicitors explaining that they have managed to trace her estranged husband who is considering her request for a divorce. So that is a very brief intro there. Um, it does go into quite a lot more depth and a bit later on about the actual reunion itself. But I do like the way this opens with old Albert. He's asleep in the chair isn't he? and he hears them all coming in and he jumps up and pretends he's been cleaning the whole time. Yeah, it's brilliant. He's just there with his fucking mouth open catching flies, isn't he? And then does that little kind of sort of gets up. But I like when um what he's um Del Boy like goes over and like, Come on, um sit down, Raquel, sit in this chair where it's nice and warm, and then Albert kind of looks at him and does that kind of like little know me head wobble that he does, that sort of knowing gives me a chance. He does a couple of those in this episode. And we hear that Raquel's been for another audition, don't we? We don't hear any more about this one though. She's been singing apparently again. So I don't know if that's fallen on from the uh the Tony Angelino episode we were talking about last time around. Yeah, still working with Tony, but I do like the fact that they come in and it's like, um, was it? Um, it's like I don't think it was your. I think it was your choice of um, songs. You should have done a Madonna number, and obviously she's heavily pregnant. It's like, oh yeah, how about like a virgin? It's fucking brilliant. Dell doesn't even get this sort of like thing, does he? He's like, yeah, yeah, that'd be a good idea. Doesn't really get the irony of what she's just said. And then Dell actually says he's going to make a pot of tea. And you're like, yeah, he's definitely not going to do that. And then he asks Albert to do it. Then he asks Rodney to do it. It's like, yeah, I mean, we saw a couple of weeks ago Dell's attempt at making tea, but it didn't last very long, did it? No, it never does. And Rodney's a bit of a bell end there, isn't he? Because he's like, um, 
yeah, I'll make a cup of tea. Says, no, no, don't do that. I'll do it. And like you say, he tells Albert to do it and stuff. And then it's like, um, he's like, well, your uncle's knackered. Raquel's pregnant and I've got my stuff to catch up on. And Rodney's like, yeah, but I'm unemployed. And it's like, well, how's that going to stop you making a cup of tea? You're fucking lazy. Yeah. Well, even Albert says that, doesn't he? He's like, oh, it doesn't mean you can't make a cup of tea or something like that. I mean, he's yeah. quite right. It's like, if you're unemployed, you've got all the time in the world. Go make some tea, lazy shit. But yeah, yeah right. <laughs> and then when Dell does get the facts and everything, and then Rodney's going about um, all Dell's people and all his old friends are in Parkhurst. And obviously, that's a bit of a coincidence because we do find out a little bit later on that Slater was, in fact, in Parkhurst. Yeah, yeah, it's actually had a good little link right there. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, Rodney's just saying it out of jest, didn't he? So he's taking the piss out of Dale, and Dale says, oh, it's all about my correspondence. And then when that fax comes through and he gets really excited about it, I mean, it's from Mike, obviously, um, but he hasn't given him much notice, has he? He's like, oh, yeah, it's tonight at the Nags Head. So, fuck me, don't give me much notice then. What if they couldn't actually attend? And why does he ask Rodney to go with him? He wasn't even at that school. I've always thought that. I mean, obviously, it's an excuse to keep obviously all the characters together because this is a good episode for that. Obviously, we get Boise, we get Trigger, we get pretty much everyone in it. Mickey Pierce and Jevon aren't in it, and as we know, Cassandra's not in it. But most of the the other main sort of people are at this point. But um, yeah, I've never understood why he just suddenly takes like Rodney along or anything. Especially obviously, as they don't know it's going to be Slater at this point. It could just be a general school reunion. What's what's it? The um the Martin Luther King Secondary School or something or whatever they call it. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like you say there, it's for the whole sense of the plot and to keep the whole gang together. Um, but yeah, at this point, he doesn't know who's organised it. And it just seems a bit strange that he asked Rodney to go along. But he's trying to sort of cheer Rodney up as well. And he's, he's moping about because he's unemployed. So I guess he's like, come on, get out of the flat and come and have a drink with me kind of thing. And that's probably why he does it. It's strange because just before that, he's bollocking Rodney because he's always out drinking, even though he's supposed to be unemployed. So I assume he's still got a bit of money left from that sort of golden handshake from Alan that we alluded to but in one breath he's going it's alright for some plonker to go out and get you know drunk every night and crawl out of bed when he hears the theme tune at home and away and then the next minute he's like oh come out and have a drink with me it'll cheer you up <laughs> that's a good point actually but that's Dale isn't it again he doesn't think <laughs> things through does he and he does contradict himself a fair bit and I do like it when he puts up the whole macho thing when Raquel gets the letter she's like oh it's from my ex-husband and he's like well you haven't heard from him for so long and if he wants to get anywhere near you he'll have to come through me first and obviously that comes into play a bit later on. Yeah, and then he does his usual thing. He's like, I know that obviously pointing at her tummy and stuff. She's like, that little sprog in there, he wasn't planned. But you two are the best thing that's happened to me since, well, my mum died. And I just <laughs> love like the slow bit where Raquel's face is like, okay, I think I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, it's great, isn't it? And then she tries to get him to promise he's not going to get drunk with his mates. When he's like, I'll do anything for you. She's like, all right, then promise to me you won't get drunk with your mates tonight. And he starts to walk out of the kitchen, doesn't he, slowly. He turns around, he's like, on your bike? He's like, yeah, as if that was going to happen. Yeah, to be fair to him, at least he's up front of her. I mean, I've, I'm guilty of it myself in the past when I've been told not to get drunk and end up getting plastered, but those are years gone now. But at least he, just, he, he warns her ahead of time. Oh, I think you know that Dale's going to have a drink. I mean, he has a drink fucking first thing in the morning a lot of the time, doesn't he? So if he's going to have his mates, he's definitely going to get on it. <laughs> So let's see what happens next in bread roll. So at the reunion, Dale, Rodney, Boise, Trigger and Denzel all ponder who arranged it as the organiser did not leave his name as he had paid with the catch. After initially wondering if it was their sectioned headmaster, Bendover Benson, the mystery organiser turns out to be the reviled ex-police officer Roy Slater. A seemingly apologetic Slater explains that a five-year prison sentence for the diamond smuggling incident and the death of his father has prompted him to clean up, clean up his act and he is now a born-again Christian and is relocated to Colchester. After initial hostility, following numerous spurious charges Slater had placed on them down the years, 
Dow and friends agree to forgive him and they head back to Nelson Mandela House for a few drinks and to reminisce about their school days. Denzel, Trigger and Boise all go home, but Slater falls asleep on the sofa. Raquel enters the flat and is frightened to see Slater, who it emerges is her husband. Despite a heated argument between Slater and the group, the Trotters reluctantly let him stay for the night. So that's pretty much the crux of the episode, and I do love this whole scene in the, uh, the Nags Heaven. They're waiting for Slater. Trigger's got some amazing lines here, hasn't he? Just pure Trigger. This is brilliant. Yeah, Trigger absolutely steals this moment. I mean, they're all great, as we know, but Trigger, this is some of his best fucking dialogue like it just starts and it just keeps coming and coming doesn't it but like when he fucking he comes in because like he comes in, he's the last one in like was it you um trigger did you arrange this and then boys is like don't be silly but he can organize a prayer in a mosque and then um <laughs> then trigger's like oh, i got lost on the way here so like, you've been coming to this pub since you were 16 he goes yeah i've been stood in your dance hall for the last hour but all the lights had turned off i know i thought we were going to jump out and surprise someone but no one's in there. Oh, no. All oh, the lights are off. I didn't know. <laughs> it's just so good, isn't he? I mean, he comes in, he knocks the door quite ominously, doesn't he? And he comes in, he's wearing that bloody blue suit again that he's, he wears when he's all dressed up for the night. Uh, but before Trig comes in, actually, Mike brings up like a tray. He's got like, I don't know, fucking cheese and pineapple on it. But he puts it down. And old Slater has gone to a bit of expense. And there's a hell of a lot of food there, isn't there? Considering they don't seem to stay there for very long, he's wasted a shitload of money there. Exactly, yeah, and especially considering the guest list is especially six people. It's not like he's ordered, like, oh, asked for, like, a whole class to come in. But one thing I did notice is, like, let's say you've got that sort of, like, little spread and cocktail sausages. Boise's got a cocktail sausage that seems to last forever. I swear, every time it cuts to him, he's, like, taking a fresh bite out of it or chewing on it. But you never actually see him go to the table to refresh it. He's just, just got this everlasting fucking cocktail. Oh, well, there you go. I'd like to have one of those, but I haven't <laughs> noticed that. Obviously, a bit of a continuity error there, but I like it when Rodney starts going on about Agatha, Agatha Christie could have said it will happen and everything, trying to get him a bit scared. And then Trigg's like, oh, he's the fancier. And it's, again, the thing we've talked about quite often in these episodes. Rodney carries on speaking before he then cuts back and goes, oh, you used to fancy Agatha Christie. It's that whole thing where he reacts about 10 to 30 seconds after Trigg's actually said it. Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I used to have a picture of her. Because all like, oh, but she's old granny hats and sort of country dresses. And like, I used to have a picture of her, and I liked her in that movie, Dr. Zhivago. And boy, she's like, that's Julie Christie, you bug. <laughs> yes, so good. And then Denzel tries to make a run for it, doesn't he? And he's like, oh, it's just that I've got this thought going around in my head. And boy, she's like, well, lend it to Trigger. <laughs> and they all kind of laugh at that line. It's just a great line. And it's just the bit as well when they're like, um, when Rodney, again, he's, after he's done his quick reaction, he's like, no, think hard, people. Someone's arranged for you to all be in this room on a dark, stormy night in Peckham. Now, who would do it? And it just goes to all their faces. You can see him go and trigger just like, Jeremy Beadle. Jeremy <laughs> bloody Beadle. <laughs> oh, it's just brilliant. This whole scene, like I say, Trigger does steal it, but Boise's got some great lines in it as well. And then when Slater comes in, he's just like, surprise, surprise. And he turns the light off and there's... I wouldn't say it's bad acting, but all like, oh, what's going on? Turn the bloody lights on. It's all a bit of sort of like, oh, they're all bumping into each other. And then obviously he turns the light on, they all turn around, and they're all like, Slater. And there he is. Yeah, he is good. And he does actually cut quite a menacing sort of silhouette, doesn't he, when a door opens? Because as we've said before, Jim Broadbent is a big guy, especially back then when he was a bit younger. Um, he's quite tall and he's quite sort of broad shoulders and everything. So he does actually cut that. And it's like, it's our old headmaster. It's Bend over Benson. If it is, he's grown a new ear back. 
<laughs> yeah, and he's also got that big long coat on, which obviously plays into his shadow as well. So yeah, he does look quite sort of sinister, doesn't he? But one thing I never really thought of this before, but watching this again the other night, he um he seems to know what's going on with everybody, doesn't he? Considering he's been in the nick, he knows Marlene's had a baby, he knows Rodney's got married, he seems to know everyone's backstory over the last few years. That's a good shout, actually. I mean, I'm sure he like put some word out and obviously inquiries and everything, but to actually know all that sort of stuff, yeah, I never actually stopped and thought about that bit. But one bit before he comes in, like Dendal, like I say, tries to run away and he goes to the other side of the room and he'll follow him. It's like, why is he going that way? There's only a fireplace. There's not even a coat hanger over there. So why would he walk to the far end of the room if he was trying to escape? That's a good shout. Who knows? Maybe he got lost a bit like Trigg did earlier. I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but then, um, obviously, um, they sort of all come round to Slater in the end after he gives them the sob story. They all try and sneak off, don't they, as he's talking, but then he sort of pipes up and they all back off a bit. And then <laughs> he's like, obviously, do you fancy a drink? Can we get the whole, not from me, Roy, from Slater, <laughs> uh, from Boise, sorry, which used to be a thing we used to say all the time, didn't we? Definitely, yeah, and it was for any excuse, wasn't it? Do you fancy a cup of tea? Not for me, Roy. Then he used to use it. Not that we ever said no to a cup of tea, but just an example. So. Yeah, exactly. But then when he does go on about all the charges that uh, they all go on about the charges he's fitted them up with, I mean, the Dale Boise and Denzel thing is believable because it probably would have been before we even saw the Trotter's story start. It was back when they were younger. But I think we said this when we did our top 10. Um, when they go on about, well, Rodney goes on about the whole thing with the van, we didn't know about that because that had been something that it probably would have been in an episode, but obviously it didn't because Rodney got done for it, didn't he? And we know Rodney's only got that one criminal thing for his bloody cannabis. And I think um, in one of the early episodes, he did get done for riding a motorbike without a crash helmet, didn't he, at one point? Yeah, yeah, because he makes a joke, doesn't he? It's like you've got fined £5 in your house for time to pay or something like that. Yeah, but you think obviously we'd have known about that, but it's just thrown in there because obviously Slater sticks them all up at some point. Obviously, the, the whole diamond thing's the biggest stitch up he did, and that doesn't get mentioned. But then Trigg, apparently, obviously, when he says, Oh, sorry about the green shield stamps, and Trigg's like, Oh, that's all right, Roy. And then it turns out a little bit later on that when Trigg got out, he used them to buy stuff, but as if he would have still had them, he'd been put away in the young offender's home for him. They wouldn't let him have them back when he got out, would they? Yeah, exactly. And they'd have had to have had the evidence to hand to be able to convict him. It couldn't have just been like Slater saying, oh, he's got all these stolen stamps. The courts would have been like, well, where are they then? Prove that they've been stolen. <laughs> yeah, and apparently they gave them back to him and he spent them. So <laughs> yeah, he, he got like an electric blanket or something. <laughs> something stupid like that, yeah. But I'll tell you what, though. Um, you know when Boise... Oh, sorry, Slater says about the premature conclusion. Oh, no pun intended, Boise. Boise sort of looks at him and nods as if he's agreeing with him, as if say, oh, yeah, and then he sort of clocks and goes, hold on, what have you just said there? Yeah, that's usually um, a good line that a lot of people throw at Boise, isn't it? It's like, um, yeah, but, uh, it, when we first meet him, it's like, Marlene doesn't like, I told Marlene I don't like being premature or something. Yeah, yeah, Marlene, did tell us about that. Yeah, and again, I think we said it's like, was, was Trigger being stupid there? Or was he actually trying to make a joke? You never really know with Trigger, do you? Sometimes he just says stuff that doesn't realise it's actually quite funny. But we we hear about Slater's mum as well. She didn't want him at his dad's funeral. That's we did meet her briefly into Hullenbach, didn't we? Albert was talking to her in the nag's head. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, it's I, I can know I understand why they didn't bring the actress back. I'm, I'm assuming she's still alive or something like that. But um, you know, but actually, she was quite old. Come to think about it, but there wouldn't have been any need to actually bring her back for this episode because it wouldn't have added anything, would it? Really. No, not at all. Just when he mentioned it, I thought, oh, yeah, we have actually met her very briefly. A lot of these people we hear about, we never actually see them physically, but we did actually see her. Same as Aunt Reen, who makes that one appearance and gets mentioned a few times as well. 
But uh, as well, Dale kind of forgives Slater pretty easily, doesn't he? He gives him this sob story about his dad, and then he's like, all right, I'll have a drink for you, Roy. And after all the shit they've been through, I mean, I know Dale's a family man at heart, and he's seen it with his mum, I guess, so maybe that's what sort of tugs his heartstrings a bit. But he does seem to forgive him fairly easily, doesn't he? They all come around pretty quick, don't they? And like you say, considering like all the shit that they've kind of gone through, and not only in the episodes that we've seen, which has only been two thus far, which are quite good because he was going to have like granddad and everything left on the estate on his own and threatening to have, you know, a thing that he'll probably get like beaten up or mugged and shit and doing some pretty horrible stuff. Then the whole smuggling thing. And then we've heard just through dialogue, obviously, the other shit that he's done and everything. It's like, I'd have just ditched your eyes, Dale. I'd be like, you know, go fuck yourself. I'm out of here, sort of thing. Yeah, which he does. It the first thing, doesn't he? he says, oh, "I'd rather rewind the clock and go back and watch TV." But then about three seconds later, he's like, "Yeah, all right, I'll have a drink with you." And then Rodney sort of follows Dell's cue, doesn't he? And then eventually Denzel and Trigg give in. Boyce is the only one who's got any sense. He's like, "No, you can drink with like Slater after what he's done to you." And again, Boyce was the one who was wary of Arnie a couple of weeks back. So Boyce is kind of a bit more on the ball than the rest of them, I think. Yes, he's certainly a bit more of a consistent judge of character, isn't he? But even mm. he, obviously, when um. Obviously, when everyone else has sort of folded and gone to have a drink and everything, and they're like, do you want a cognac? Um, Boyce in, he's like, and quick. And then he even ends up running over there eventually. It's only after Triggs says about the Green Shield stamps, only he says he went and got an electric blanket with him. Trig- uh, Boyce is like, for fuck's sake, I can have to have a drink now, I think. But when we get back to the flat, they're all pretty drunk. And it's quite good that, again, David Jason plays being drunk really well. And there's a little bit of un-PC language. We get this quite often in these episodes um, from Slater in this one, isn't it? When he says about the puffs not fattening in these days, again, something you wouldn't get away with these days. Yeah, he's talking about, obviously, like, the shower and everything in prison and stuff. And it's like, oh, at my age, even, you know, the puffs don't fancy me and stuff like that. And I do like that stuff he was saying. It's like, oh, it's horrible being in there, being an ex-cop. They used to line up at dinner time, be like, snide, snide, we're going to get you snide. And then they're like, oh, didn't the warders do anything about it? That was the warders. <laughs> yeah, it's just great stuff, isn't it, between all three of them? Well, not three of them, all, all the characters. And then... There's a bit here, and I never noticed this, but um, it was on the Only Fools wiki page. I don't know if you've ever picked up on it, because I certainly hadn't. Um, the bit where Trigger says, oh, there's that Italian kid. What was his name again? If you actually look at what Roger Lloyd Pack's saying, it looks like they've overdubbed something. He doesn't say there's that Italian kid. It looks like he, he, he's not, you he can't really see what he's saying, but it looks like he might say something derogatory towards him, and they've overdubbed him saying there's that Italian kid. And I'd never noticed that before, but it definitely looks like they have done something. Ah, I, to be honest, I've never noticed that. And I've watched, I mean, it's a DVD copy that I've had for years. I know they have got edits in them, obviously, from the originals. But now I've never actually picked up on that. That's quite interesting. Be interested to know what he um what he was saying. Because later on we get the, um he says, um oh, yeah, you know, all of us, says Denzel. We were good friends. We had camaraderie. And then Trigger's like, oh, was that the Italian boy? That bit always makes me fucking laugh. Yeah. Yeah, definitely check it out next time we watch it, Bread Rogs. It certainly looks like they have overdubbed what he says there it, it could just be a coincidence and maybe the the you know the recording's not caught up with the vocal i don't know but it, it looks weird but i think we said this as, as well when we did our original sort of um take on this how the fuck would they have heard marlene's horn they're 12 floors up and it's loud as anything isn't it when she does come to pick boise up yeah and you mentioned in there um about uh obviously david jason playing the drunk pretty well i think they all do a good job because um as they're sort of leaving denzel trigger they sort of shake Roy's hand and everything. And then Boise kind of turns around and he does that kind of unsteady walk forward, doesn't he? You know, like we've all probably done when we're drunk and everything where you don't know, like, it's almost like you don't know there's like a step in front of you and the way he kind of shuffles along and that's drunk. He does it really well. 
He does indeed, yeah. I mean, I was like that New Year's Eve, but that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it is really good the way he does it, and as well when they're all like pretending they're not drunk. Marlene's obviously on the phone to Boyce. He's like, no, no one's drunk, and everybody's like, Dell is, and obviously Dell's like their air drumming. And apparently, again, there's a cut where they sing the Mighty Twin, and they're all singing along to it. That's been cut out now because BBC don't have the rights to that song anymore. Yeah, I, again, I never knew that, but I do know again, like. There is quite a lot of like cut things because of songs and everything. That's pretty cool. Yeah, because I mean, when Dale goes into the kitchen um, to get the drink for Rodney, who incidentally he falls asleep pretty bloody quickly, doesn't he? He puts his head down. Two seconds later, he's flat out when Dale's trying to talk to him if he wants a drink. Um, yeah, he's sort of air drumming still, isn't he? he? He's muttering under his breath, the mighty Quinn. But apparently there's a whole scene where they're all singing along to it, which now is only available on the very original versions of this. Um, but again, we've said about everyone playing the drunk really well. When Raquel comes in, and she sees Slater and she goes into the kitchen and Dell's like, who's he? Who, he, he, who? And he's juggling that ice around. It's fucking brilliant. Yeah, I was about to mention that, but I do love that bit. It's good. But I, I don't, I've never liked the way Raquel um, muttered. I know she's obviously a bit, probably a bit exasperated, obviously being pregnant. She obviously just probably just woken up or being kept awake by them or being loud and drunk and coming and seeing Roy on the sofa. But the way she's kind of proper bollocking down, she's like, your promises don't mean anything. You're all the same as everyone else. And he's like, what are you on about and stuff? And she goes on and on for a while. And then she obviously breaks the news that that's Slater on the um, sofa, which is good the way Dale reacts and everything. But she's probably going like mad at him. And it's like, you haven't even explained why you're mad at this point. And that's just always kind of annoyed me. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of get that. But like I say, she's probably just like, what the hell? I mean, she hasn't seen the guy for eight years. And at this point, she doesn't know what Dale's and him have been talking about, does she? I suppose she's just come in and seen him on the sofa. But yeah, I get that. Also, he offers her a drink, doesn't he? Because Rodney's asleep and he offers her a whiskey when she's having a go at him. It's like, she's fucking six, seven months pregnant, Dale. Don't be giving her whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> it's his fucking reaction. It's like, that's my husband in there. No, that's Slater. Yes, I know his name. I was married to him. No, no, that's Slater. I know, right? It's Roy Slater, my husband. Slater, the slack. It's just an amazing reaction. Oh, it's so good, isn't it? And then, for once, Dale doesn't think on his feet, does he? When Slater actually sees the picture of Raquel, he's like, that's my Rachel. What's the picture of my wife doing in your flat? And Dale's just like, uh, I don't know. What's the picture of his wife doing in our flat, Rodney? Normally, Dale thinks on his feet pretty quickly, but he's completely flummoxed by that one, isn't he? Yeah, I've always thought that. And, um... Again, it's like you would have thought it'd been quite easy to explain because he's looking at the picture. We don't actually the audience see the picture; we just see the frame from behind. And he's going because um, there was like, oh no, look, it says there in the um the picture, a named Raquel. So it's obviously one of her kind of promotional pictures that was probably from like the club back when he sort of met the Mardi Gras. So he could have just said, oh yeah, we were on the Beano once, and um obviously you know we met, um we saw this sort of person. I thought I'd get the picture because I thought she was nice and got her to sign it. Just something like that yeah. would have been enough to bullshit his way out of it. Yeah, which is exactly what we said. I think we did this original one. That, um, yeah, it's a bit weird. Um, also, there is a picture of Dale and Raquel in the, in the background the whole time, which Slater doesn't seem to notice. But we find out a little bit later on that he, he's known that Raquel was there the whole time. So I suppose he doesn't really need to say anything because he knows what's going on anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. But yeah, I mean, the tension then between Dale and Slater is just so good. Jim Broadbent and David Jason, it's, it's genuine. I think, again, we said this, the, the way they play off each other, it's proper tense. And then Raquel comes in as two and, and she plays a part and the whole way it's acted. And then obviously you get Albert coming in with the who's Rachel for a bit of comic relief. But it is quite a tense scene, isn't it? And Dale's properly sticking up for Raquel. Yeah, no, I, I really like it. And again, we see that kind of really kind of nasty um, side of Roy and everything. So we know he's 
complete asshole, old, old Slater and everything. But yeah, Albert comes out of his room and he's fucking, he looks like he's been electrocuted. Like, oh, yeah, but it's kind of just stuck up in the air and he's just walking around like half awake. And it's like, who's Rachel? And he says, says over and over. But I do like the fucking um, bit when he goes, oh, so you're cohabiting, are you? And she's like, yeah. And he looks around, he looks at Albert and Rodney and Dale and he goes, well, which one is it? <laughs> yeah, I've got that here in my notes. I mean, was he being serious? Did he really think it could have been Albert or even Rodney? I mean, Rodney at a push, but not Albert, surely. Yeah, no, just brilliant. And then Albert's like, where do you think she's been for the last eight years? In a convent? And he does that whole neck wobble thing. It's probably the best one he does. It's proper like full on, isn't it, that one? It is. I thought his fucking head was going to fall off the first time I watched the episode. <laughs> it just goes mental. It's a great line, isn't it? And, um, oh, fuck it. I, there's another line as well. That's, it's all fucking brilliant, really, but I forgot what I was going to um, say about them. But um, the whole distraction, and like you say, like when that him and um, Dale nearly actually come to blows, and you've got like, Albert kind of holding Jim Broadbent back, but he kind of falls onto the sofa and then stands up again. So Albert doesn't do a very good job of it. Then obviously no. Rodney's holding back Dale and everything, but it's pretty good. It kicks off fairly quickly. Yeah, it does. And obviously Dale sends Raquel to the bedroom to sort of stay out of the, the way while it's all kicking off, which again is him sort of shielding her, isn't it? But Slater says that he came back and he says, oh, I came back to see my wife and I've got an inheritance coming. I was thinking we could maybe start again. Do you reckon he's actually serious? Because then obviously Dale says, well, it's not going to happen. He's like, well, I wouldn't take her back in that state, obviously, because she's pregnant. But do you reckon he was serious? Was he actually ever going to try to get back with Raquel? Because it would never have worked. No, absolutely. Obviously, she absolutely hates him. And again, she plays the part really well. You can tell she just absolutely detests him like, as a character sort of thing. But um, yeah, because I've got an inheritance coming. Yeah, a good few grand, you know, could set us up sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I can't believe he'd have ever thought that she would come back to him. Maybe he's just doing this to try and stir the pot a little bit more. But it's a bit... Um, so I remember the bit he says, like the really kind of snidey thing, isn't it? And it's like, because Raquel was getting angry at him and I was like, calm down, yo, you're getting her excited. Yeah, and I always could, couldn't I? I just thought that's such a fucking little knife twist of a line to say. It really is, isn't it? And that gets Dale proper wound up. And then that's when Raquel and, and Rodney both have to pull him back, I think, because he's like him. But he would. That would really fucking... Because obviously we find out in the next scene that Dale really just can't stomach the fact that her and uh, Slater were together, can he? No, no, he can't. And it would be fucking weird, wouldn't it? Like, if you found out, like, you've met, like, a woman or a bloke, if you're that way inclined to that, and then they found out that they've been married all along to, like, your arch nemesis, someone who's, like, completely gone out of their way to try and ruin your life at one time. It'd just be like, oh, fucking hell, can't I get away from all this? Yeah, exactly that. And then this, <laughs> the whole scene does this end again with John Sullivan. It's been quite tense. And then we get another, who's Rachel from Albert? And then literally everyone's just like, oh, shut up, Albert. Even Jim Broadbent gets involved, doesn't he? <laughs> Yeah, I do like his reaction. He just looks so fucking startled, don't you? Like, <laughs> fucking, it sort of cuts away after that. Well, it sort of cuts to obviously uh, Rocky asleep on the sofa. Exactly. So let's have a look and see what it does cut away to. <clears throat> so later that night, Dale, Rodney, and Albert discuss what would happen if anyone found out that Raquel was married to the despised Slater, which would result in Dale's image being tarnished and many of his associates refusing to do business with him. Slater himself enters the room and reveals that he too is aware of the situation and implies that he will reveal it to everyone in Peckham if he's not adequately accommodated. Dale gives Slater 40 quid and agrees to let him stay as long as he wants, but as Rodney and Albert discover, that Dale actually gave the Slater the money from Slater's own wallet. Rodney then finds a post-nuptial agreement inside it, intended for Raquel to sign, in which she would waive her rights to his money. They also discover another document from a Bond Street diamond merchant, informing Slater, informing Slater about 10 diamonds he deposited with them before he was sent to prison. Just as Dell thinks he has the upper hand, Slater emerges from the bedroom and takes back his wallet, which has been he's been looking for 
and it's got still the evidence inside it. Um, so, yeah, I did trip over a little bit there, but it was a fair chunk. But I don't know if Rodney's being stupid, he's half asleep or what, but when um, Dell obviously says, you know, can you not see the predicament I'm in? Rodney's just like, no, you just can't see it, can he, at first? No, he can't. And again, it's, I don't know if that's Rodney not, you know, genuinely being able to see it, or if he's just like the moment where he's been woken up and he's pissed off that he's had to give up his bed to Roy, that he just doesn't want to talk about it. But um, yeah, at first, it is kind of, he's just kind of shrugging it off, and then Dell says it, and then you see sort of Rodney soft and he goes, oh, oh yeah, that. And then he sort of sits up and actually pays attention after that, doesn't he? Yeah, and then Albert obviously comes in and says exactly the same thing. You'll be up shit creek if, um, you know, people find out that Raquel was married to Roy. There's one little stumble here. Um, when Rodney says, oh, I, I want to go back to sleep, Dale grabs his um, sock and he pulls it. He's like, Roy, uh, Rodney, wake up. He actually calls him Roy. I don't know if you've noticed that. Yeah, I have noticed that a few times as well. I always wonder if he actually meant to actually nearly pull his sock off as well. Or was that just like, he gripped it too much? Yeah, who knows? But yeah, I mean, he definitely does slip up there. But I guess, again, it's quite good because he's obviously thinking of Roy. So I'm sure it was a slip up by David Jason. But in the whole context of the script, it does work really well. I mean, as I said there, just before we did that next part of the synopsis, Dale just, he can't think or even talk about Raquel sleeping with Slater, can he? And he's like, if people knew Raquel was with him and had slept, slept, slept. And Rodney's like, slept? He's like, yes. He just can't, he just can't, I don't know, he just doesn't want it in his head, does he? Yeah, it's just, because in his eyes, like we said before, you know, Dale's got a heart of gold. And to him, like, Raquel was perfect, isn't he? Like, he completely dotes on her and fully adores her to the best of his sort of capability and everything. And just he doesn't want that kind of image or his kind of like view of her tarnished, does he? But he hates Slater so much, it's got to be kind of like torment for him, really. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's got that, and obviously, as he says, his, his whole image will be tarnished as well. And I like the way he says, No one would um, trust me anymore. And Rodney says, Under his breath, well, no one trusts you now, doesn't he? Which is quite <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah, I've always had a bit of an issue with the pacing of this scene. I don't mind it because obviously, we get this bit with obviously, um, the Trotter trio, as it were. They're obviously talking, and then obviously Slater comes out as well, and he's like, "Oh, I couldn't sleep, Dell." I was, you know, he pretty much says the same thing, so you know he's kind of plotting. We know Slater is actually intelligent, despite being, you know, snidey little bastard. But he comes out and says the same thing and starts stirring the pot and that. But it's the kind of he comes out and then he goes away again, and then they find his wallet and then the stuff from the diamonds, which we'll probably discuss in a minute. But I just feel like this sequence kind of stutters along a little bit, like for what they're trying to deliver as far as the plot. Um, it just seems to go on a bit longer than it probably needs to, I think. Yeah, I kind of get what you're saying, because Slater comes out and then goes back to bed and then comes out again, doesn't he? So he sort of appears twice. And um, I mean, Rodney and Albert first, they've kind of put Dale's mind at ease a bit, don't they? They're like, well, you might think this and we know it, but Slater doesn't know that you've got you over a barrel. Um, so don't worry about it sort of thing. Don't make it look so obvious. And that's when Slater comes out and says, oh, you know what would happen if the, the parish found out about me and all that. And he plays it pretty cool, though, doesn't he, Slater? He's just sat there, just sort of chilling out, just sort of explaining what's going to happen. And um, I did notice as well, there's a fair bit of Heineken placement in this scene, isn't there? There's cans of Heineken all over the table in clear view. Yeah, yeah, this is, uh, we do, we have noticed in the previous episodes, the more recent ones, that is, obviously the product placement's becoming a bit more kind of um, prominent, isn't it? So plenty of Heineken on the go there. And then he's like doing the whole, oh, I just hope I don't let it slip out in the pubs and clubs, you know? When I drink beer, it's oh, oh, anything comes out. But champagne, champagne's different. I can control myself with champagne. So he's proper, like, you know, he fucking, he's, he knows he's got Dell by the fucking short and curly. He's just, I hope it points out of a nice gesture. But, um, yeah, he's definitely playing the fiddle, isn't he? He certainly does, yeah. That's weird as well. When Albert's like, oh, he's got you by the book. Oh, he's got you like that. 
I mean, why didn't he just say balls? It's like, you know, he's, he's there with Dale and Rodney. It's not like he's there in the presence of women. And balls isn't exactly like proper swearing. But yeah, I do like the way he does that. But how does Slater not notice that that's his wallet that um, Dale takes the money out of? He's waving it around in front of him. Yeah, that's true. That's another bit. Again, it's like sloppy acting. And we know why we do it. Because when, obviously, he finds out that it is... um. Yeah, because Roy, Roy goes off with like 40 quid in his pocket or wherever it is. And then Albert's like, oh, you may have given him some money, but it was actually Roy's wallet. And Dale's like, oh, I thought it was Rodney's. And Rodney's <laughs> face fucking drops. But that's when they find the letters and he reads it all out and everything. It's like, oh, yeah, he's getting the diamonds that he pugged away from the old racketeer. And that's his inheritance and everything. And he's like, we're going to hide this where he can't find it. And he's just fucking waving it around in the air. Yeah, he is. And also, that contract is massive. There's about two or three A4 pages in there. So, I mean, why would he have kept it in his wallet? It doesn't really make sense. Um, but, I mean, it's tucked away in there quite well. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, it is good timing, but it's a bit over the top, isn't it? When Dale's waving it about, going, we must keep this really safe. And as he sort of waves it, Slater comes in and takes it off him. I mean, I don't know how many takes that took. So, it is pretty spot on, isn't it? It is good timing. So, I say, he just literally opens the door and I smoothly moves his hand, pulls out of Dale's hand. He's like, oh, thank you. I was looking for that. That breakfast in bed, cut the boiled eggs would be nice, and then buggers off again. He does. So let's see what happens the next day then. <clears throat> so the next day at the Nag's Head, Raquel went is to find Slater conversing with Mike. She inquires as to why he's staying around when Dell and Rodney enter. Raquel then goes to wait outside in the trotter's van as Dell asks Slater if he had known all along that Raquel was living with him. Slater nonchalantly confesses, revealing to Dell that he only organised a reunion to get into Dell's flat and get Raquel to sign the post-nuptial agreement. Dell and Rodney then show Slater one of their future fax machines, which Dell claims he used to make several photocopies of Slater's diamond documents. Slater retorts that he's already served his sentence for the diamond smuggling and cannot be tried again for the same crime. Dell continues that he and Rodney went to the local newspaper offices and read the reports of Slater's trial, which did not mention the 10 diamonds deposited with the dealer. If the incriminating documents were sent to the police, it would mean a new trial, and given Slater's criminal record, most likely return to prison with a longer sentence. Slater offers to, sp- offers to split the money from the sale of the diamonds with the trotters, but they decline, and instead offer Slater a deal. They will keep quiet over the diamonds, and Slater can keep his money, but he's to give Raquel her divorce, leave Peckham for good, and never mention to anyone that he was married to her. So there is one sort of last little twist after this. Um, but to be fair, for Dell, for once, it's actually a good plan that does actually work. It's not too bad, actually, yeah. And, I mean, he is taking a bit of a chance now because um, Slater could have actually called his bluff. Probably knows better not to and everything. But, yeah, it is actually a really well-conceived plan overall from a Del Boy perspective. I do love the way that this scene opens, though, because it's just Slater doing this almighty burp, isn't it? Like a proper, like, <laughs> wah type burp in the fucking middle of the pub. And he burps, like, right in Mike's face. He's, for some reason, just, like, leant against the bar watching him drink champagne and everything. It's just such a weird cut. It is good. Yeah, it literally opens with that his burp, doesn't it? I mean, I wonder how many bottles he's had at that point because he orders another one. The minute Raquel comes in, he orders another bottle. And then Del and Rodney come in and they order a bottle. Fucking how many bottles of champagne are going here? And they're all on Del's slate anyway, so they're not going to get paid for. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know what, you know, earlier on we like had Del Boy trying to give Raquel a glass of whiskey and she's eight months pregnant. Now Slater's giving her fucking champagne. Like, no one's offering this woman a cup of tea. <laughs> that's very true actually you're not supposed to have caffeine either are you these days but Raquel comes in and he he shouts Rachel pretty loud and no one seems to know it's Mike in particular who's obviously stood right next to him at that point yes and I know we've mentioned this before and we even had a chuckle about it off air before we started recording um, earlier on and stuff but the amount of fucking glasses of champagne that appear on this table throughout this scene I mean it's a sequence that lasts for five to eight minutes probably I'd say roughly 
And like Slayton's got obviously the champagne. Then he's like, every time they order a new bottle, um, Mike just like pours like more glasses and then Del and that come in. So he orders even more. So they've got like five on the table as it is. And then at the end of the scene, Del then orders another bottle. It's like, well, you've got all these glasses. You haven't drunk yet. You don't need any more. I know, but that's what they do in the later episodes as well. One of the specials, isn't it? The minute they sit down, Dale's ordering another round. It's pretty mad the way he goes through drinks. He never seems to actually drink all of them anyway. But we get Mike as well saying that he heard um, Raquel's husband was a right git, doesn't he, to slay her, which is quite funny because he has to obviously um, sort of wind it in a bit and not say anything. I do love, again, Jim Broadbent's acting here because his face completely drops and he goes, oh, yeah, is that right, is it? And he actually looks genuinely pissed off. He does. And then he also tells Raquel that he's going to be staying around for a while and might get a place around here and everything. I mean, I'm not sure that's a good idea. I'm not sure if he actually, again, if he actually meant he was going to do that because, you know, everything is going down. Yeah, all right, fair enough, he's got Dell over a barrel, but he'd be risking it a bit if he was going to stay around the area, wouldn't he? Yeah, definitely tempting fate, especially if he's obviously got the money coming in and everything like that. Does it actually say how much those diamonds are going to be worth overall? Um... I don't think he does. No, I don't think we actually get a monetary value of them at all. So who knows? But I mean, the, I think when Boise and that were doing them, they said they were worth about five grand each, didn't they? So if he's got 50 odd grand's worth there, if he's got 10 of them. Yeah, I mean, that's not too bad because just back at the flat when he's like, oh, I've got a good few grand coming, and I'm thinking, obviously, in this day and age, a few grand, a good few grand and everything. I mean, you wouldn't sniff having it in your back pocket, but it doesn't go as far, does it? But obviously, back no. then, 50 grand, you would be able to do probably all right with it. Not sure, you know, housing in Peckham and stuff like that, but you would have been all right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then obviously he admits to Dale that he knew all along Raquel was living there. And um, he's like, yeah, I saw her on the poll tax register. You weren't on there, though. As if she'd be on there. But then, you know, she, they'd be like, so this person's living in this flat on her own. They'd be a bit suspicious, wouldn't they, if she was on there and no one else? Yeah, absolutely. I do like that bit for comedy value because I like, again, Jim Broadbent's acting because he's like, yeah, I looked her up on the old tax poll register. Then he sort of stops and has a sort of afterthought and it's like, I didn't see your name on there, Dell. And then Dell's like, oh, I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, and then obviously uh, Rodney says they went down to the newspaper offices, or Dell, one of them says, to, to read about Slater and the, all the past crimes and the diamond smuggling. I mean, how times have changed 30 odd years ago. You just look on Google now, wouldn't you? And have it all in front of you. Yeah, exactly. As long as any historical stuff as well. But yeah, those old, I never actually visited one myself, but I've seen them in the old movies and everything. They're pretty crazy the way it would scroll through all the pages. Yeah, exactly. And then for once, Dell doesn't actually want the money, although he's got a bit of a plan we'll hear about in a minute, which we never see come to fruition. But obviously Rodney's like, we don't want the money. Rodney's thinking, you know, as Slater keeps up in the deal a little bit, Rodney's getting more and more interested. And Dell's like, no, we don't want any of your money. Yeah, Rodney, I, there's a line he delivers in this sort of, in this scene sort of around here as well that I really like because it's kind of sinister for Rodney, but it's obviously quite cool at the same time because he's like, well, imagine if we misplaced something like that be a crime wouldn't it and just the way he delivers that line is just fucking quite smooth but again it just makes him look a little bit sinister yeah and then also he's like be honest Roy <laughs> be honest so he's probably yes. like mugging Roy off isn't he with these little sort of like quips he's doing yeah he's certainly grown a pair because back in the um the hall when they first meet up and he's shouting at Roy he's like we'll shove it Slater and he looks around and realises that he's been in front of people and he's like oh just shove it and then he hides behind <laughs> <people. laughs> he does indeed so let's have a look at the punchline in bread roll and how this wraps up so an aggravated Slater agrees to the deal and abruptly leaves. As he heads to the door, however, he asks Dale to name his child after him. Rodney restrains Dale and retorts that christening a child Dick would be cruel. Slater vanishes and Dale explains to Rodney that when Slater sells his diamonds, Raquel can divorce him and legally be entitled to 50% of his money. Mike shows up and tells the Trotter brothers that the photocopier on the future facts they sold him does not work. A laughing Dale answers that his does not either, meaning that him and Rodney were lying to Slater all along. 
so yeah, a good little plan there by Del Boy. He didn't actually have any copies of the bloody diamond thing in the first place. Yeah, cause I suppose um, Slater could have been like, all right, then show me the proof and that, and Del probably would kind of bullshit his way out of it or something. Um, but yeah, it is a good plan by him. And I do like the way this episode ends. It's one of the better endings. I'd say we've been a little bit hit and miss over the last sort of series or so, um, the way they've wrapped up some episodes. But this is a really good ending, I think. It is with that little twist. It's not something you're really expecting. You probably, you know, the first time you saw it, I mean, I can't remember the first time I saw this now. Um, probably would have been the first time it aired because I was at that age. But, yeah, you wouldn't have seen it coming probably. You'd have thought, oh, they have got some things. But then if you think into it a bit deeper, nothing Dell sells actually works 100%, does it? So it's not surprising the photocopy part didn't work. Exactly, yeah. And again, it's that brilliant John Sullivan writing about bringing stuff full circle, isn't it? Because at the start, he's like, he gets the facts from Mike and he goes, oh, he's half moaning, isn't he? Look, machine no working prop. What do you expect for 45 quid? So we know he sold him a fucking turkey. Yeah, exactly. But as I said there, like Rodney uh, sort of didn't want, well, Rodney wanted the money, Dell said no. And then he says, you know, when Raquel divorces Slater, she'll get 50%. But that never gets pursued, does it? Did he actually ever finalise their divorce? Because we never see like or hear of the money being mentioned again, do we? That's true. Yeah, I mean, don't mention. It. I mean, I know they obviously do move on, and um, you know, spoiler alert. I'm sure everyone knows what's coming up, but they do actually come into like a good fair bit of money, um, to wrap things up almost. Um, so I suppose there's no need for them to pursue it. But yeah, we never actually see between now and then her actually obviously getting some money in and then them being able to do anything with it. No, I mean we we don't know if the divorce actually gets finalised, do we? Because Dale and Raquel never actually do get married. Obviously, they have Damien, but they never actually tie the knot, do they? No, they don't. Another good point. Yeah, so it just kind of ends doesn't it and it's kind of like the end of the uh the slater trilogy as it were that's drawn out over the whole series but um a brilliant episode and i still stand by it being our number one because i think it just works in so many ways oh absolutely yeah thoroughly enjoyed watching this again um any excuse to watch it really jim broadbent is just pure class but i'm kind of glad he didn't play dell for a multitude of reasons obviously it would have been a completely different thing we'd be sat here now talking about it differently i'm sure but you know i think what he did as slater was just brilliant anyway and Del Boy is David Jason, but we'd have obviously known a lot different if it was uh, Jim Broadbent who played him in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And I often thought that it'd be good if, like, I don't know, you could almost peek into a crystal ball and just see what it would have turned out like with him. But as we know, the show did struggle early on. And I think a lot of David Jason's charisma and the way he obviously took ownership of the character helped it kind of stay on track almost. We're not sure if Broadbent, as good of an actor as he is, what his delivery of Del Boy would have been like and if he would have managed the same thing. But, you know. I'm just glad it turned out the way it did because it's brilliant. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I don't know how far down the line John Sullivan was with plots and stuff when he was casting. So whether he had these plots written with Jim Broadbent in mind or whether he, you know, wrote them after David Jason was recruited, who knows? But yeah, let's just say I'm glad it turned out how it did. Absolutely, yeah. And I don't really have much more to say about this episode other than what I've already said. I thought it's a brilliant episode and, you know, say we put it as our number one. Um, next to the Jolly Boys out, and these are probably those are my two personal favourite episodes, I think, overall. But um, yeah, this is just brilliant, and I like the fact it's got all the characters in it near enough. And as we said, Trigger's got some of his best work in this one, his uh, dialogue and everything. It's absolutely hilarious. Yeah, he has indeed. I mean, we said Cass wasn't in it, but there wouldn't really been a place to fit her in unless she was in the opening scene in the flat. There wasn't really anywhere else because she wouldn't have been in the reunion. So probably right she wasn't in it, I guess. Yeah, but she will be returning um, for the next couple of episodes, I believe. I know she's definitely in the last one of this series. I don't know if she's in next week's episode. But um, join us next week when we get that far, and uh, we'll let you know. But um, as always, thank you very much for uh, joining us for this particular episode. And um, 
Welcome for joining us in uh, 2023 as we go into the final stretch of Only Fools and Horses. Let us know what you thought of our review um, or let us know what you think of the upcoming episodes. If you've got any behind the scenes tidbits, um, let us know on Twitter at the Hyperbaric Goats and we'll give them a shout out and a mention in our episode. Indeed, yeah, couldn't have said any better. And we've got two episodes of Series 7 left and then the sort of specials to wrap it all up and then we're sadly done with Only Fools and Horses. We've got a few other things in mind, though. Um, and we were going to run some um, some quiz questions, weren't we? But in typical hyperbaric goats fashion, I'm not prepared. So we might have to do that next week. Um, we've got, um, I've got a quiz book for Christmas, um, and it's got questions on every single episode. So we were going to answer or ask each other some questions on next week's episode, but the book is nowhere to be seen. So we'll have to go with that one next week, Brad <laughs> Play, as always sounds about um you know our, our organization is about as good as the quality of del boy's goods isn't it you know, there's, always, <laughs> there's always something that's not quite right so we'll try for next week there is indeed yeah lovely stuff so as always thank you for joining us and this is bread roll signing off and for me jt i've just got one last thing to say i don't think that anyone would ever trust you again knowing you're living with the wife of an ex-copper and not any ex-copper but slater who is universally hated and despised no income tax, no VAT, no money back, no guarantee. Black or white, rich or poor, we'll cut prices and a